Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 5. The Cook Thief Little John fitted into the band well. He trained the men in the use of the quarterstaff and was an enthusiastic member of the raiding parties which ambushed the rich and corrupt. Soon, though, he began to get restless. Frequently he hinted to his new master that he wanted a challenge. He wanted to do something dangerous for Robin. Robin Hood tried to tell his large companion he was doing enough, but John wouldn't let it drop. In the end, just to shut him up, Robin came up with an idea. Well, my little friend, he said to the huge man, there is something you could do. In the house of the Sheriff of Nottingham is a cook. He is the finest cook in Nottinghamshire, but he has a secret. His family were thrown out of their home by the Sheriff's men, and he secretly hates his master. I think he will join us if he knows that he's welcome. Go to the house of the Sheriff, little John, and bring me the cook. The fair's in town, and it only comes every five years. There'll be loads of labourers looking for jobs. Even you can blend in. Little John was, of course, delighted. In order to blend in a bit more, he decided to dress entirely in scarlet. Whether this was because he was impressed with Will Scarlet's wardrobe, or simply because he'd had enough of Lincoln Green, we can't be sure. Still, he looked splendid, marching towards Nottingham, clad in red. When he arrived in the city, Little John immediately began to join in the fun of the fair. First he went to the beer tent. There he stood on the table and called out to the drinkers. Who will drink ale with a yeoman? Come, let's be merry for the day. I, Raymond Greenleaf, will buy ale for everyone. Thus Little John ingratiated himself with the people of Nottingham. The free beer flowed and every man declared that John was his brother. The big man moved on to the dancing booths where he jigged with twenty fine Midland lasses. Then he took his place in the archery contest. An hour or so later, Raymond Greenleaf had won the prize. He strode up to the watching Sheriff of Nottingham, sitting in a raised seat, and received his prize. The Sheriff looked at him with his piercing evil eyes. John gulped slightly as a flicker of recognition crossed the lawman's face. John was right. Fortunately for the big man, though, the sheriff couldn't quite work out where he'd seen this Raymond Greenleaf before. He decided he must be imagining it, and also that this giant may be useful in his service. So, Raymond Greenleaf, he said, you're a very fine bowman, probably the best I have seen apart from that despicable rogue Robin Hood. Why don't you join my household and work for me? I can always use someone as handy with the bow as you are. I will pay you 40 marks a year all the food you can eat and all the ale you can drink. Now, what do you say? This, of course, was part of the plan. Little John gratefully accepted the sheriff's offer, then he turned to the crowd and offered them all more beer. They cheered and made merry for the rest of the day. The sheriff and his new servant made their way back to Nottingham Castle. So Little John became the sheriff's servant, and he was a very good one. He ran beside his master every time he went out riding. He held the sheriff's hawk when he hunted. He did everything he was asked. He was given all the food and drink he could manage and found, found that he liked the finer things in life. The food in particular was very fine and little John grew even further away from his nickname. His middle grew rounder and his face chubbier. After a month or two, he seemed to have forgotten completely that he was a righteous outlaw. It never seemed to occur to him that the superb food was being prepared by the man he had been sent to speak with. The sheriff's cook remained completely unaware that Robin Hood's man was in the house. One evening, Little John ate such a gluttonous dinner that he slept a little too well. 
In the morning, he couldn't raise himself from his comfortable bed. The sheriff had been due to go hunting with his new right-hand man and was very unhappy when Raymond Greenleaf didn't show up for work. He went hunting anyway, thinking he would deal with his absent employee when he got home. Little John finally awoke when the sun was already high in the sky. As he opened his bleary eyes and then wrenched his ample form from the bed, he heard something that caused him to stop in his tracks. It was as if he had been hit on the head with a quarterstaff. Suddenly he was filled with shame. He had become too comfortable. He'd forgotten who he really was. The sound that little John heard was the distant note of a bugle. It was Robin Hood's bugle. John chastised himself vigorously and determined to right his slothful wrong. First, though, it was time for breakfast, or, given the late hour, brunch. Little John made his way to the pantry. Unfortunately for the big man, the steward was standing near the pantry with his huge bunch of keys. Hello, Master Steward, said Little John jauntily. I've not eaten this morning and I'm starving. Let me in so I can feast. The steward was jealous of Raymond Greenleaf, who was such a favourite of the sheriff, and he refused, jangling his keys mockingly, and John tried the pantry door. It was, of course, locked, and the access to the food was denied. John grinned at the officious official and raised his fist. Then, with one strike from his massive hand, he punched the door from its hinges. The steward grabbed John by his collar, trying to hold him back, but this was clearly not a sensible thing to do. John raised his fist again and smacked the steward hard in the mouth. The steward, out cold, fell to the floor. There, said John to the unconscious steward, never keep a hungry man from his breakfast. He strode into the pantry and spotted a venison pasty and two roasted roosters and a platter of eggs. A beaming smile spread over his chubby face as he sat down and prepared to polish off the lot. Just as he was about to take the first mouthful, though, he was rudely interrupted by the cook, who had heard his argument with the steward from across the courtyard. The steward himself was just coming round as the cook approached, and he explained what had happened. He also promised the cook some of the sheriff's wine and a bundle of cash if he dealt with Raymond Greenleaf. The cook's ample form cast a shadow in the doorway, just as the first capon was about to be devoured. Little John looked up. He realised the cook was decidedly displeased when he saw the glower on his face. Raymond Greenleaf, you are nothing but a thief. Leave the sheriff's platter and get out, or I will carve you open like a suckling pig. John stood up. You said that to the wrong man. I am a raging lion when challenged. Prepare to fight. Little John drew his sword, and the cook did likewise. Just as they were about to leave the pantry, which was far too small for a sword fight, John grinned at the cook. Hold on now, brave cook. It wouldn't be seemly to fight on an empty stomach with such a fine spread just waiting to be eaten. As the two fine stout fellows that we are, it seems to me we should eat before we fight. The cook looked at him torn. While he realised eating the food probably wasn't a good idea in terms of attracting the wrath of the sheriff, he was hungry and the food looked excellent. Well, you know, I like the plan. Let us feast, as one of us may be supping in heaven by this evening. So little John and the cook sat down at the table. John took out his dagger and carved up the succulent venison pie. The two men ate it without talking. Then they had a cape on each and a large number of eggs. Each looked at his fellow scoffer with something approaching respect, each impressed by the capacity of the other. As he ate the last mouthful, the cook drew a deep breath, which seemed to contain some regret. John poured some ale which he had found in the pantry into two cups. 
he raised his own. Sir, I declare you are the stoutest companion at eating that a man ever had. I drink to your health. I love you like a brother for this, but now, alas, we must fight. Both men stepped into a broad passage where they were able to swing their swords. It seemed they'd gained a lot of energy from the large meal, and it didn't weigh them down at all. Their swords clashed as they both swung and swung with all of their strength. Up and down the hall they fought for more than an hour. Every now and then they sat down for a quick rest before resuming the fight with even more vigour. At last little John decided they were equally skilled and he spoke to his opponent. Hold, good cook. I have to say you're the best swordsman I've encountered. I thought I would have carved you open by now. And anyway, why are we fighting at all? Well, I have no love for the steward, agreed the cook, and then chuckled. And for that matter, I can't stand the sheriff either. Then come and join me in Sherwood Forest. My name isn't Raymond Greenleaf. I'm John of Mansfield, better known in these parts as Little John. I am one of the merry men who follow the great Robin Hood. The cook bowed a little. Sir, I have heard of you, and I'm honoured to meet you. Gladly I will join your band of men in Sherwood. In fact, let's go now while the sheriff is out hunting, and let us take some of his fine silver with us. The two men gathered up as many silver platters and vessels as they could and shoved them into potato bags. Then they ran from the castle and made for the forest. Before long they'd reached the safety of the depths of Sherwood and were approaching Robber's Glade. Just before they got to the glade they saw a man dressed in Lincoln Green. It was much the miller's son. He grasped little John's massive hand and enthusiastically welcomed him back to Sherwood. Then he shook the cook's hand and led them to Robin Hood. Robin strode forward to meet his large lieutenant. So, little John, it's been a few weeks. How have you been faring? Quite well, it seems. Robin grinned as he patted John's ample midriff. Little John blushed. True, I have lived right merrily under the sheriff's roof. Not only that, I've brought you his cook and we have much of his silver. He proffered the bag full of platters to Robin. He was quite taken aback when his master frowned at him. He waited to see what the problem was. John, we are not common thieves. I'm very glad you've brought back this fine cook, but I'm not pleased you brought back these goods. The sheriff has already been punished by us for his crimes against the common man. We have £300 of his and his chef. We do not take from people's houses, whoever they may be. Little John tried to protest and implied the sheriff had given him the silver. He then, without waiting for any reply, ran off back to Nottingham, saying he'd bring the sheriff back to Sherwood and get him to confirm the valuables had been freely given. He ran the full five miles to where he knew the sheriff and his party would be, out hunting. When he reached his former master, he doffed his cap and bent his knee. "'What? Raymond Greenleaf? Where have you been?' asked the sheriff sternly. "'I've been in the forest,' replied John. There I saw a fine young heart dressed in Lincoln green from top to toe, surrounded by three score other hearts. I dared not even take a shot, sir, as I thought they would kill me. I'm not dreaming, nor am I mad. Come with me and I will show you. The sheriff, cross as he was, was intrigued. He dismounted and allowed little John to lead him into the forest. Before long they came to a glade. There, in the glade, was a great oak tree, under which sat Robin Hood. Little John gestured towards him. There, there's the heart that I spoke of. The sheriff turned to John and finally realised who he was. Raymond Greenleaf, you are a knave and a villain. Now I know who you are. You are none other than Little John, right hand of this criminal. He waved his arm airily towards Robin. 
Robin, as if in reply, stood up and walked over to his enemy. Hello, sir. Have you come to dine with me? No, of course not. I'm not hungry and I don't dine with ruffians. I'm here against my will, tripped by this John of Mansfield, also known as Raymond Greenleaf. But here is your own cook, replied Robin, gesturing towards the man so recently in the sheriff's employ. Quick, Mr Cook, bring your master some of that fine venison and serve it on those new silver platters. And Will, bring some of the prior's fine wine served in one of those exquisite silver goblets. The sheriff looked down at his own plates piled high with venison prepared by his own cook and his own silver goblets filled with the prior's wine. He looked up at Robin, expecting the worst, and awaited his fate. He was in for a surprise. Master Sheriff, said the outlaw, the last time you came into this forest you were here to despoil and make trouble. This time you have come without intention to do harm, lured here by trickery. We've had our fun offering you food served on your own plates, so take your things and leave us in peace. We have no quarrel with you today. But be warned, the next time you extort or steal from the common man in this county we will be after you again. Come. I will personally lead you back to your men. With astonishment, the sheriff took up his bags of silverware and prepared to follow Robin. After a mile or so, Robin bid him farewell. The sheriff, absolutely dumbfounded, said precisely nothing. When he encountered his hunting party, they were amazed to see him still alive and astounded to find he was carrying a sack of his own silver. They asked the sheriff lots of questions, but he was unable to answer. When they reached Nottingham Castle, the sheriff went straight to bed, without saying a word. The following morning, back in the forest, Robin Hood had a serious word with Little John. You've got fat in the sheriff's house, my friend, and I wasn't sure you were going to return. Now you must carry out a task for me to show your loyalty. Go to Hugh Longshanks of Ancaster and fetch the twenty score yards of Lincoln green cloth we need to make new uniforms for our new followers. Go now and go quickly. Maybe if you run, you will come back a little leaner. Little John's face flushed with anger, and he seemed about to respond, but in the end he simply grinned sheepishly and prepared to leave. Robin, meanwhile, whispered to Will Scarlet that he was going to follow the big man part of the way, just to make sure he didn't stop off at an inn and indulge in his newfound passion for rich living. Will agreed this was a fine idea, and so when Little John left to ride north, Robin followed him, always out of sight. He was disguised as a simple yeoman, just in case he encountered any of Sir Guy's men. The price on his head was large, and he didn't want to fall into the wrong hands. Little John seemed to have learned his lesson, because he didn't deviate from his path one bit. When Robin was sure his man was doing as he'd been told, he prepared to turn and go home. On his way back, he heard the strains of a song. The words of Under the Greenwood Tree echoed across the field. The voice singing the song was clear and pure, and Robin found himself joining in. By the time they had finished the third verse, the two men were in sight of each other. The other singer was a tanner, a trader of animal skins. Robin greeted the man heartily and asked him what he was doing on this stretch of road. He was well off the beaten track when it came to finding buyers for his wares. Ah, said the stranger, today I have other business. There is a great reward on offer for the capture of a man called Robin Hood. Five hundred marks I can gain for bringing him to Nottingham alive. Here I have an arrest warrant signed by the sheriff himself. Why should I go around the country selling mangy skins when I can earn five hundred marks for the capture of one mangy outlaw? I tell you what, I'm feeling generous. If you can help me capture this outlaw, then I'll give you a hundred.
Show me the warrant, replied Robin, sensing he could have some fun here, and I'll join you in the hunt. The tanner refused, but Robin carried on anyway. OK, never mind. Come with me and I'll show you where you can find Robin Hood alone and unarmed and at your mercy. If I do this, then you'll give me the hundred. That I will, replied the tanner enthusiastically, and he allowed himself to be led to an inn on the edge of Sherwood Forest, where Robin said there would be news. When they arrived at the inn, Robin told the tanner to sit while they waited for information. Then he strode to the bar and put in an order for beer and wine. While he did so, he had a little word with the innkeeper. The ale flowed. The wine flowed. More precisely, both the ale and the wine found themselves in large quantities, disappearing down the neck of the outlaw hunting tanner. Before long, he'd lost the use of his legs. Seeing the tanner was good and drunk, Robin Hood stood up and made a speech. Now, my fine fellow, you can see me here, and so it must be perfectly clear to you that I am unarmed except for my staff. You, on the other hand, have a sword by your side and the sheriff's warrant in your pocket. I have fulfilled my part of the bargain. Now, where is that hundred marks? The tanner seemed to stare up at him, but his eyes were unfocused, and all he could do was dribble. Then he turned over and started snoring. Robin took this as a positive answer and snatched up the drunk man's purse. All he found inside were the warrant and ten silver pieces. Not impressed, he left the money and took the warrant. Then he placed the pouch back down on the ground near the tanner's head. After that, he picked up his own things and had another word with the innkeeper. Having said what he needed to say, Robin Hood walked out of the inn. Eventually, the tanner woke up with a very sore head. He searched his things and found that his warrant had gone. Quickly he strode up to the innkeeper and demanded to know who it was who had pretended to be his friend but had robbed him. The barman, having been well briefed by Robin, knew exactly what to say. Why, he exclaimed, did you not know that your friend, who was here a few minutes ago, was none other than Robin Hood himself? Robin Hood? Ah, oh, he's tricked me. Well, I'm not staying here while he escapes. Which way did he go? He went along the road into the forest. Before you go, there's a little matter of paying for all the drink you consumed. Ten silver pieces, please. If you don't pay, then I'll lock you in my cellar until I can take you to Nottingham to receive justice. The tanner sighed deeply and handed over the last of his money. Then he vowed a terrible vengeance on Robin Hood and strode off into the forest. It wasn't long before he came upon the leader of the Sherwood Outlaws striding jauntily down the road. Oi! Wait here, you villain! Well, hello, it's my friend the tanner. Thanks for catching up with me. I assume you're going to give me the hundred marks you owe me. Robin put out his hand, apparently waiting for payment. The tanner looked at him as if he was mad. He opened his mouth, but fury and astonishment prevented any sensible words from coming out. Instead, he just made a strange sound, and his face grew very red. I think that was the sum we agreed, continued Robin. You promised me a hundred if I delivered Robin Hood to you unarmed and alone. I did just that, as my friend the innkeeper confirmed to you. I am Robin Hood and I was alone and unarmed in the alehouse with you as you drank yourself silly. So, hundred marks please. The tanner drew his sword and ran at Robin Hood. Robin, though, deftly knocked the sword from his hand with his staff. No, sir, he said. We will fight with staffs only. Go and cut one for yourself. The tanner didn't need to be told twice. He fashioned a fine staff from a thick branch and faced his adversary. The furious tanner and the happy outlaw knocked each other to kingdom come for a long time. 
Nearly two hours passed while they hit and parried. It was soon apparent that neither would gain the upper hand until one of them passed out through exhaustion. Robin held up his hand and motioned for the other man to stop. He did, but he was still very displeased. I want my 500 marks. In fact, I must have my 500 marks for capturing you, otherwise I can't pay you your 100. Robin thought that this was hilarious. My friend, you are a fine fighter. Instead of fighting, why don't you join me in the forest? You'll earn more than that and you'll be able to pay me back many times over. The tanner looked doubtful, but was persuaded at last to have some dinner with the merry band. Robin blew on his bugle. Before a few minutes had passed, Will Scarlet, looking splendid in his fetching red, led the men into the clearing where the fight had taken place. When little John arrived, the tanner's face broke into a wide smile. Arthur! shouted John. Arthur a bland, my dear cousin. Welcome to Sherwood. Well, replied Arthur, now my mind is made up. Robin Hood, I am your man. Next time, Abbot Hugo and Sir Guy of Gisborne will have another go at capturing Robin Hood. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please go to the website www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com There you will find a donation button. The podcast is and will remain entirely free, but all donations are of course very welcome. So, until next time, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you then.